0: I'm very uh, proud of our women's ministry and for Laney and Jesse. and I just want to thank our staff and a host of volunteers for a tremendous night. Hours and hours of work went into that. And let's just take a moment and thank them for all the hard work that they did. Thank you. Really, really just a wonderful night. And I can tell you when God begins to work in your life, when he begins to work in your family, when he begins to work in your business, when he begins to work in your home, here's what I want you to know. People in places who are the center of Holy Spirit activity are also people in places at the center of unholy spirit activity. Anywhere God is at work building, the devil will be at work blasting. So you just need to know that. <laughs> you know, on one side, you have that famous passage, John 10:10, 10, 10, He came to give you life and give it more abundantly. But he does not finish the verse there. He said, but the enemy (laughs) comes to kill, steal, and destroy. So just know, as God begins to bless your life, just be aware. Just be, to be forearmed is to be, or forewarned, rather, is to be forearmed, and just know that you have an enemy that's gonna try to take away all the things God has given you, so just be aware of that. But I have good news for you this morning. I read the last book of the Bible, and we win. (laughs) It comes off okay. You're gonna be okay. You may not feel okay this morning with what you're going through and what you're dealing with, but I wanna tell you, I have it on good authority. You're gonna be okay. We serve a God who is intentional. We serve a God who is purposeful. We serve a God who is uh, uh, planning things and, and working things out according to his word for our good, for his glory. So God is a God of purpose. He does things for purpose. He does things with purpose. He does things on purpose. And as I said this morning, you may not be feeling it. And I can tell you, uh, as a pastor, I've gone through a lot of, I'm going through some stuff right now, and I don't always feel it. I have dark moments every day of my life. So you may not always feel good, but God is always good. And he never fails. He can't fail. God cannot fail. You know what else he can't do? He can't lie. So when you look in his word, you realize his word is true. He cannot fail. He cannot lie. By the way, he can't even exaggerate. Unlike me and you, I've told you a million times, I don't exaggerate, but God can't exaggerate. So when you find something in his word and you find a promise in his word and it resonates in your soul, do this. Number one, write it down. If you don't write it down, you'll forget it. So if it hits you, write it down. If it's something that's meaningful to you, write it down. Second thing you do is you pray it in. God help me to really receive this word that you've obviously given to me today. So write it down, pray it in. Then number three, live it out walk out in it, on it, (laughs) believe it with all your heart, remind yourself of it, because we serve a God who cannot fail, who cannot lie, who cannot exaggerate, a God who is intentional, a God who is strategic, he is not random, he is not thoughtless. Everything he does, listen, everything he does is a means to an end, a means to an end. The prayers he answers yes to are a means to an end. The prayer he answers no to, a means to an end. When he opens a door in your life, it's a means to an end. When he closes a door in your life, it is a means to an end. God is working something in your life today. I believe it so strongly that I don't think it's an accident you're in this room this morning. God brought you here strategically, purposefully, willfully because he wants to speak something into your heart and into your life. So I would say in the time we're together, have an open mind and be able to say, "Uh, speak Lord for your servant is listening. Lord, show me and tell me what it is you want me to know and what you want me to do. And believe me, sometimes what he says to us, we may not be feeling it. You you can't always rely on your feelings. Martin Luther once said, feelings come and feelings go and feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the word of God and not else is worth believing. So I'm telling you this morning, you can anchor your life on God's word. He can't lie, he can't fail, He will not, cannot fail you. I know when Cindy went home to heaven, one of the things that I really struggled with was uh, lack of answers, right? I think it's true of all of us, probably. We're all alike in that way. When you go through something very hard, you want answers, you want to connect the dots. You go through that period of time where you're saying, you know, why me and why this, why now? We had a lot of things we still wanted to do that we didn't get to do. We had a lot of plans made. We had a bucket list. <laughs> and all of a sudden you go from making those memories now to living on memories. So, I found that uh, God often uh, seldom explains himself. Doesn't ask our permission. <laughs> he does what he does with purpose, for purpose, on purpose. So you come to terms with that, and I've recognized that in my life, it is not the answers that I wanted that I found, but here's what I found. God didn't give me answers, but he gave me his assurance. He gave me the assurance that he does all things well. That's what his apostles said who followed him. He does all things well. Uh, he, he said, I don't make mistakes, I have a reason. I, I, there's a design, there, there's some, you may not see it now, but eventually you'll see it. The, the dots will, and now it may not be on this side of heaven. I'll be honest with you. We may not understand until we get to the other side. So this morning, I I wanna talk to you about something that I've come to terms with in my life that I'm determined to do, and that is in my new normal, I've determined to find, and here's the title, a new optimism, a new optimism. I I, I don't want what I've gone through and I don't want you to respond to what you're going through this morning and, and let it change who you are to make you bitter or cynical or angry. And I get when people are that way. I mean, I understand when people go through stuff and it, and it jades them and it, and it makes them uh, you know, very uh, angry and hostile, and it. but I don't think God intended for that to be that way. I, I can't control what happens to me. I can only re- control what I respond and how I respond to what happens to me. And I think in that mix, you find victory or defeat. And so I I think you kinda go two steps forward sometimes and three steps back trying to discover optimism in the midst of so much difficulty. And in our scripture this morning, I wanna share with you a character in the Bible that I think discovered that, a principle, if you will, that allowed him to become very optimistic by the things that he had gone through in his life. This morning, we're gonna do kind of a 10,000-foot view of this passage. In the Bible you learn either by principle or precept. A precept is very straightforward, it, 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 it is what it is. There's no uh, uh, variation, there's no variable, uh, the, the, there's no uh, uh, ambiguity, uh, it is what it is. A, a principle in the Bible is speed limit 55. You know, that's a principle, there's no doubt about it. Uh, I'm sorry, a precept, no doubt about it, speed limit 55. A principle is general, right? A principle goes like this, dry, friendly whatever that means, drive friendly. Your friendly driving may be different than my friendly driving, but a precept is 55. It's no doubt, no ambiguity, 55. The principle is, well, drive friendly. Well, we're gonna look at a principle from God's word. I'm gonna lift some principles, and I want you to try to apply these to your life. Now, the character we're gonna look at for a few moments is Jeremiah. Jeremiah was an amazing guy because Jeremiah really went from a close relationship to God to a distant relationship with God based on circumstances. Jeremiah typifies a lot of people in the room, a lot of people watching the service, a lot of people in our community, the thousands of people that are connected to our church. Everyone, I think, can relate to Jeremiah's experience. A man who at one point in his life is close to God, connected to God, loves God, trusts God, goes through something, he's questioning God, he's mad at God, he's angry at God. He says in chapter 20, I won't even speak of God anymore. I'm done. Now this was a prophet. I mean, this is what God designed him and equipped him and enabled him and empowered him to do, was speak of God, and he was so upset at God, he said, I will not even speak of you anymore. And can I tell you, there's circumstances you can go through in life that it doesn't matter how powerful and how connected to God you feel in this moment, you can go through something that will absolutely rock your spiritual world. And what's incredible about it is, ladies and gentlemen, God loves you enough, he loves me enough to give us the slack to go through all those emotions, to do the dance. He loves us enough to let us draw into him, he loves us enough to let us push away from him, he loves us that much. So I don't know where you are in this uh, uh, phase of your life, this season that you're in. You may be in one of those pressing into God seasons. You may be in one of those pushing away from God seasons but I want you to know God loves you in every season. There's not one single thing you could do this morning to make God love you more. There's not one thing you could do this morning to make him love you less. His love is perfect. His love is unconditional. His love is eternal. He loves you. If you were the only person on the planet to redeem, he would have gone to the cross just for you. He doesn't just love all of us. He loves each one of us. So I want you to wrap your head around that because it will help you find footing to become optimistic given the things that you've gone through or the things that you're going through. Jeremiah felt all the feels and he had gone through all the experiences and he had had those kinds of emotions and Jeremiah learned principles that allowed him to be such a powerful and influential person. So when we open our text this morning, if you have a Bible and you look with me in uh, Jeremiah chapter one, verse four, here's what's interesting. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, listen, before I formed you, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Wrap your head around that. Before you became who you are, before you did what you would do, I knew you. I formed you. And by the way, he loves you. The thing about a sovereign God is he knows what I will do before I do it. He knows who I will become before I become it. <laughs> and despite, despite that, he still loves us. He said to Jeremiah, I already know the mistakes you're gonna make. I know the man you'll go one day, you're I know there's gonna go through some stuff that, that's gonna cause you to be so mad at me that you won't even speak of me anymore. You'll saturate the church with your absence. You don't want anybody to know you're any related or connected to me. God was saying, I get that. I understand all the things you're going to go through in your life because before I formed you, I knew you. I knew the good things about you and the bad things about you. I knew the positive things about you and I knew the negative things about you. God said, I'm sovereign. I know everything about this man that I have formed. Before you were born, I sanctified you, just means I set you apart. I ordained you a prophet. I I know what you're gonna be. I've already designed you. And by the way, God has a design for your life he already designed you to be something. Everybody in the room is a minister. Some of you are not in full-time ministry, but you're in ministry nonetheless. Some of you will minister to people I'll never meet and I'll never know. I've said before, your life is the only Bible someone may ever read. The only glimpse of Jesus someone may ever see is what they see in you. So you're a minister. In fact, we refer to somebody, said, what do you do? What is your vocation? It's an interesting word. It comes from the Latin, voca. It means calling, right? So when somebody uses that, there's actually a a theological spin to it. What are you called to do? Some of you are in different fields of endeavor and you found you're in your rhythm. You're you're passionate about what you, you know why? Because you're doing what God designed you to do. You have a vocation. He said, you're going to be a prophet. I already know this about you. I've designed you uniquely. You have a purpose. Now you may be in a transition right now and you may not know what that purpose is. I told you at one of the services uh, a, a year or so ago, I, I talked about something Cindy and I ha- have at our house, uh, something we call a junk drawer. Did anybody have anything like that at your house? Maybe you don't call it. That. You have a junk drawer, you, we call it our junk drawer. You know what a junk drawer, right? You don't, all right, for those of you that are wondering. Uh, a junk drawer is that drawer, we have in our kitchen, that catches everything that looks important that you dare not throw away. You don't know what it's for, what it does, you just know it's important because it looks important. We've had, we lived in that house for 13 years and I can pull that drawer out and I got stuff in there, I put in there and we moved in. <laughs> Afraid to throw it away. I hold it up every now and then and I go, I need to throw this away. But if I do, it's gonna be the thing I needed to fix that dilly bopper that broke when that thingamajig went down and this was the perfect thing that went in that spot. So I'm just saying. I look at you, and you look at me sometimes, and we go, "Well, you look important. I just don't know what you do. I don't know where you fit. I mean, you're not junk, because God don't make junk. But you may not know where you fit. I'm just saying. Right now, He's never looked down out of heaven, spotted one of us, and thought, "I don't know what I'm going to do. I'll just stick him over here and I figure it out." <laughs> this never happened. You're not junk. Now, you may not know, as I'll, I'll show you in a minute, you may not know those plans, but he does. And so the, 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 the significant thing to finding out what you're supposed to do is you've got to connect with your creator. And when you connect with the creator, he sends an instruction book called his word. And once you're connected with the creator and you get into his instruction book, you find your fit. And there's nothing more thrilling than to do what he's designed you to do. And Jeremiah, God said, son, I knew you before I formed you. You're going to be awesome. You're going to be fine. You're going to be a prophet. And, and, and he said, when I heard this, he said, man, Lord, I, I'm just a kid. I, wow. I mean, that's great. I, I love that prophecy over my life. And that sounds exciting, but it's scary at the same time. Are you serious? I'm just, I, I and God says to him, do not say, in other words, don't talk yourself down. Don't talk yourself out of a blessing. Quit telling yourself you can't do what God's created you to do. Quit telling yourself, quit dismissing the potential that you possess. He would later say in the New Testament, let no one despise your youth. Don't let anyone talk you down because you're young or maybe you're you're older but you're inexperienced in what you're trying to do. He said, don't quit talking yourself down. If God has called you to do it, you can do it. You'll go to all whom I send you and whatever I command you, you're going to speak And listen, don't be afraid of their faces, (laughs) for I am with you, I'll deliver you, says the Lord. And then you fast forward over to Jeremiah 29, here's that famous verse most everybody has heard. I know the plans I have for you. I have plans that are gonna prosper you, not harm you. Plans that will give you a hope and a future. You can be optimistic. Let me give you the three principles from this passage and we'll go home. Number one, principle number one is understand God's purpose. God has a purpose. Remember Ecclesiastes three, we've shared this so many times, to everything there is a season, a time to every purpose under heaven. As long as you have purpose, God will give you time. The fact that you're here this morning tells me, you have purpose. God said to him before I formed you, I knew you, you had a purpose. What did I tell you a moment ago? God works on purpose, with purpose, for purpose. He's doing that in your life today, there is a purpose, there is something happening in your life, it is a reason, Uh, Jeremiah was coming to terms with God's purpose for him. Jeremiah was realizing God sees something into him, uh, sees something in him that he hasn't yet seen in himself. God sees the potential he possessed before he even realized that potential. God said, this is what you're gonna be and this is what you're gonna do. And he's going, wow, I'm overwhelmed. I'm just blown away. And he goes, don't talk yourself out of it. Don't talk yourself down. I've got a purpose for your life. I love that passage in Romans 8, 28, 29. The Bible says, all things work together for good. Didn't say all things are good. It said all things have the power to work together for good to those who love God, those who are called to his purpose. And then he explains it in verse 29. He says, considering that, that the, those that the Lord did foreknow. Now God is sovereign. Foreknowledge is something God possesses that I or you don't possess. Foreknowledge means God knows ahead of time what we will do, what we will say, where we will go, how we will act. Foreknowledge means God knows it ahead of time, foreknowledge. And the Bible says, according to his foreknowledge, he has predestined certain things. The predestination of God is according to the foreknowledge of God. Let me break it down. Because God knew ahead of time what I would say, what I would do, who I'd encounter, how I'd respond, how I'd react. God knew that ahead of time so he has predetermined certain things that will happen as a result of that. So God, his foreknowledge, knows what will happen and what I will do and the decisions I'll make in life. So because he has foreknowledge, he then has predetermined certain things that will happen in my path. And the result of that is in the same verse, it happens so that we are conformed in the image of his son. Now let's put that together under purpose. Long as we have purpose, we have time. What is the purpose of God? He's allowing the things that happen in my life, good, bad, happy, sad, positive, negative, everything working for my good and his glory knowing how I will respond, knowing I'll push away at times and I'll pull in at times, knowing I'll say things that are right and I'll say things that are stupid. He knows all of those things about what I'm going to do and what I won't do. And he's working those things out, predetermining certain events so that at the end of the day, the result is I am conformed into the image of his son. What does that mean? That means somebody will see him living through me. It means the result of my life is I will be a reflection of who he is. So he's allowing these things in our life. He's using these things in our life to form us, to shape us, to allow us to be a reflection of who he is. That's his purpose. That's his plan. And to every life in this room, he's given us his time span on the earth to complete that purpose. And the moment the purpose is up, he calls us home. He calls some of our loved ones home before we're ready. Sometimes they live a long life, and sometimes it's a shorter life, but their purpose on the Earth is what gives them the length of time on the Earth. Hebrews 9:27 says it's appointed to people one time to die, meaning that there is this time, a day circle on the calendar of eternity, where God says, "At this point in time, your purpose on this Earth is over." And no matter who you are, no. by the way, no matter where you are, when you hit that marker and you hit that day, all of a sudden, you are absent from the body, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, you are present with the Lord. We call it death. Death is separation. Separation of the spirit and soul from the body. The body returns to the earth, ashes to ashes and dust to dust. The spirit returns to God who gave it. The body sleeps and awaits the morning of the resurrection when the body and spirit and soul will be reunited and we'll be caught up at the rapture to be with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord according to 1 Thessalonians 4. So our, our time on this earth is tied to purpose and our purpose on this earth is to be a reflection of who he is. Listen, I've told you before, if you're wrong about Jesus, it doesn't matter what you're right about. And if you're right about Jesus, you can be wrong about a lot of other stuff. The only thing that matters in eternity, the only thing that matters in eternity is whether or not we knew Jesus. You read Matthew seven, the Bible says, there'll come a day when he'll say to good people, depart from me, you have worked wickedness, you have worked deceit, and here's here's, here's the reason, I never knew you. He didn't say I knew you and you blew it and I forgot you. He said, I never knew you weren't one of my kids. So the only thing that matters in eternity is where we know Jesus. And once you have connected with the creator, you discover your purpose, your time is tied to purpose. And as long as we are a reflection of who he is and we're fulfilling purpose, he gives us time. And I realized when Cindy's race was run, she finished long before I wanted her to, long before our kids wanted her to, but I realized it was God's purpose for her, right? I realized as Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4, fought the good fight, I kept the faith, I finished my course. Listen, he didn't say I finished the race, it's it's significant, it is a distinction. You think about finishing the race, well that's not what he he said, I finished my course, meaning I finished my part of the race, right? It's like a relay runner. You don't want to relay, and I didn't run relays, but I've watched them. I, I'm not built for speed, I'm built for comfort. So I under, I've come to, <laughs> I have come to terms with that. I'm working on it, Titus, I'm working on it. But the point is, the point is that they're relay races. And in those relay races, what you have is when the runner finishes their course, they pass the baton to the runner coming behind them. And they finish their course and they pass the baton. That's It's called a legacy. You leave a legacy. You give that legacy to your kids. You give that legacy to your friends. Yeah, we have a memorial service where we remember the person and we speak of their legacy. We say they passed the baton. And so ladies and gentlemen, I'm suggesting that when purpose is over, we pass the baton. I wanna leave a legacy. I don't want my kids to see me go through what I've gone through and see me become bitter and cynical. I mean, I don't want want you to see what we've gone through and and think, wow, he's such a, you know, a nice guy. And then he went through that. Now he's just like, holy cow, what happened to him? I I don't want to be such that I just repel people. And there've been times when I had been very, uh, would have been very, uh, 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 I don't know how to say this. Um, I I would have been hard to be around (laughs) because I had been cynical and, and angry and upset. And I know that about me, so I separate myself from that and my horses and longhorns never rat me out, so it's a beautiful place to be. They never tell me, they never say what I said. There's no Mr. Ed in my barn. Thank you, Jesus. That's kind of a slow roll, I get I understand that. It's kind of, that's, a, that's a TV land re- uh, reference to Mr. Ed. He's a talking horse. for the, I don't even know where I was going with all that. Other than to say, I I, I know when I've had a bad day and we have them. And and the thing is, you're gonna have them. But I don't want that, that might be me in the moment, but I don't want that to be me from now on. Uh, 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 Jeremiah said, I won't speak of him anymore, right? He had those moments. He recognized it, but God brought him through. And I'm saying when you're tied to purpose, and I understand I have a purpose. When I'm tied to purpose keeps me optimistic, second thought hurriedly. Not only do you see something of his purpose that kept him optimistic, but number two, you see something of God's providence. God's providence. What do I mean by that? Don't, don't miss this. This is significant. In that verse I read to you, notice these things. He said, I formed you, I knew you, I sanctified you, I ordained you, I sent you, I instructed you, I will deliver you. Holy cow. God was saying, I got you. You're gonna be Okay. Uh, You may not feel okay, but you're going to be okay. Why? God says, because I'm going to work through all those experiences I've laid. I'm going to work through those. Uh, He is a providential God. What do I mean by that? I mean, God sees things ahead of time. Providence comes from two words, pro video, to see ahead. I don't have that benefit. You don't either. We see life a frame at a time, a day at a time, a moment at a time, an experience of a time. God sees the beginning from the end. He's the alpha and the Omega. When the Bible says Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, think about this. God provided the solution before the devil ever created the problem. Did you see that? When Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, God provided the solution before the devil ever caused the problem. He's providential. When he said to those three Hebrew teenagers in Daniel 3, don't recant your faith, I'm gonna be with you. I won't leave you or forsake you. Even if you go into the fire, they did. King Nebuchadnezzar looks into the fire and said, didn't I throw three in there? He said, there's four. And the fourth looks like the son of God. You remember when Noah, God had him build the ark and you read Genesis seven, when God calls him, you remember what he said? It's the first invitation of the Bible. He says, come Noah, all of you in your house into the ark. Here's what he didn't say, go into the ark. He said, come into the ark, meaning he was already in there. (laughs) It's gonna be a wild ride, Noah. It's gonna be a cool cruise. Got a lot of animals. It's going to be fun. It's going to be scary. It's going to be fun. What's my point? My point is God will not call, call on you to go anywhere that he's not already there. If it's the fire, he's there. If it's the ark, he's there. He said to the apostles, get in the boat and go to the other side. I'm going into the mountains to pray. And they got into the storm. Remember in the middle of the sea where what happened Jesus came walking on the water. If you're in a storm this morning, he's there. If you're in a fire this morning, he's there. If you're in a protection and a wonderful place and you're in his presence and feel like you're in the ark, you're okay. He's there. He will never call you to go anywhere that he is not there. He's providential. You remember when he provided manna for the children of Israel in the wilderness? He was providing manna while they were still asleep. They woke up every morning, realized he had just brought brought fresh bread from heaven. (laughs) He just walked out there and picked it up. He provided manna before they ever, they ever woke up. God is a God of providence. That's why I see you this morning. It's no accident you're here this morning. God providentially brought you here. We may never see each other again this side of heaven, but he brought you here to encourage you, to tell you, he's got you, he's got this. You may not feel it right now, but it's gonna be okay. His purpose, his providence. Number three, we'll go home, his presence. His presence, you see that in verse eight? He reminded him, I am with you. I'm with you. Jeremiah doesn't matter. Son, you're gonna be all right. I'm with you. I've told you before, remember that great passage in in Hebrews? uh, He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Remember, we talked about this. To leave means to remove your presence from someone. To forsake means you emotionally disconnect with that someone. Everybody in the room knows you can be physically connected to someone you are emotionally disconnected from. You can be emotionally connected to someone you are physically disconnected from. But when it comes to your heavenly father, he says this about you. I will never disconnect from you physically. I'll never disconnect from you emotionally. He's the friend that's in your world when every other friend has gone out. He gets you, he understands you. Press into him. Don't do anything stupid. (laughs) Just If you fall anywhere, fall at his feet. I'm just saying you have his presence it brings about enormous optimism. Let me give you this. H.C. Morrison was a great Methodist minister. He spent the balance of his life in mission work. He would later establish Altsbury University. But for 40 or 50 years of his life, he spent in China sharing the gospel with people who had never had the opportunity to hear. As he was up in years and preparing for retirement, He would spend his latter days on this earth at the university lecturing young students. So he was leaving China, making his way back back home. And he was on the same ship as they set sail. He was on the same ship that the late Theodore Roosevelt, the president of the United States was sailing on as Roosevelt had just completed his famous safari where he killed all these animals in Africa. Once Dr. Morrison realized I'm on the same ship with the president, kind of made him proud and excited. They sailed into New York Harbor and the vessels were there with those cannons, water cannons and shooting water over the vessel as it came to sail. And they got to the, and docked the ship and there's bands and banners welcoming the president back home from his famous safari. After he watched the president get off the ship and he made his way off, he said, the thought struck me. He thought, Roosevelt goes to Africa and kills all these animals and there are thousands of people that are here to welcome him home. He said, I've spent nearly 50 years of my life loving and serving people. There's nobody here to welcome me home. He said, yeah, I kind of felt sorry for myself. And he said, I couldn't get away from that kind of that heavy thought. He said, I got on the train, I was making my way home. And he said, well, I guess when I get back, he said, there'll be some of the faculty there. They'll welcome me home. I've been gone a long time. I know they'll be there to welcome me. He said, when he got to the train station and he got off, there was just a guy there to help him with his bags and put it in a cab. There wasn't anybody there. He said, I sat in the back of the cab and I thought, (laughs) Roosevelt goes, kills a bunch of animals. Thousands of people welcome him home. He said, I've given my life to serve people and to tell them about Jesus. There's nobody here to welcome me home. He said, well, maybe when we get to the station and I get to the house, he said, maybe they'll all be at the house there on the campus and maybe the faculty and my family will be there and they'll just greet me and welcome me home and we'll have a wonderful celebration. He stepped out of the the car and made his way up to the house. The door opened. The house was quiet and dark. He said, once again, my heart and mind was filled with that thought. Roosevelt kills those animals, and thousands of people welcome him home. I've given my life in service of my Savior, and there's nobody here to welcome me home. They said, all of a sudden, I had the most incredible thought. He said, it filled my heart with such peace. Here was the thought he had. He said, I'm not home yet. I'm not home. He said, one day I'll be home. I'll see the loved ones. I'll walk down a street of gold under a cloudless sky. He said, somebody will come up to me and they'll hug me. And with tears in their eyes, they'll say, Morrison. <laughs> You're the man that told me about Jesus. I'm here today because of you. And Morrison said, I'll be home. Folks, you're not home yet. (laughs) You're not home yet. So keep looking up, stay optimistic. God has a plan. He has a purpose. He's not finished with you yet. One day we'll be home. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the assurance (laughs) of your word. Help us to walk out of this room encouraged. Even though we're in a storm, help us to know you're there. Or we're in the fire, help us to know you're there. Help us to trust you and lean on you and look to you. And Father, I pray we won't push away from you, but we'll pull into you and realize your plan for us is best. You know the way we take Job said, and when we come out of this, we'll come out of it as gold. So Father, encourage someone today. For my friends this morning who may never receive you as Savior, I pray this would be the moment when they humble their heart and say, God, with all that I know about me, I now trust all I know about you. Come into my heart, forgive my sin. For others that need someone to spend a minute to encourage them and pray for them before they go, I pray as soon as I dismiss now, they'll just slip here to the front and let one of these amazing people spend just a few moments to pray for them. Father, I just say thank you. Thank you for the joy of knowing Jesus. Thank you for the joy it is to make him known. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great rest of your week. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much for tuning in today with us. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us so that we can follow up with you this week by visiting metchurch.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week.